to the two-year Bible, a custom designed two-year Bible reading plan with this weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And so we're in week four, uh, and we are a majority through the book of Genesis now. And so uh, we're getting into uh, more stories of uh, people like Isaac, and then we're going to get introduced to uh, uh, Jacob uh, at some point. Well, I guess that's not until next week. Uh, we get the birth of Jacob in the story. And so um, we are... We're um, into our second patriarch. Yes, the second of the great patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and maybe Joseph, who gets left off. And uh, <laughs> and so, um, but we do have the birth of Isaac. The promise is finally here, and they name him Isaac. It's, it's kind of funny, though, because, yeah, they don't make a huge deal out of it. And it's like all of the chapters were building up to this. And you're like, oh, by the way, Isaac was a born, few verses. Yeah. and God did it. Oh, yep. cool. Okay. Yeah, we so. actually, yeah, we almost hear more about uh, Ishmael for a little while than we do about Isaac and um, and God's protection of them and um, this blessing of this people and so um, of Hagar and Ishmael and kind of get sent off on their own way. And so uh, we get um, this treaty with Abimelech uh, and uh, Abraham kind of having a well and what we're we about to say. I was just going to mention that Ishmael now is like father of our modern day Arabs. Yeah. And that's, there's a long history and, and the, the Quran has a different version of what Abraham does there. And eventually he goes to Mecca and all this other stuff. So, um, it's, it's interesting to know about, it's interesting to read about. Um, and, uh, I don't agree, but, uh, that's, that's that. Uh, and so we eventually get, uh, what is also a, a kind of well-known story in the book of Genesis, the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22, uh, and, uh, this three day journey, which, uh, is, huh? I don't know. Have you read anywhere else in the Bible, Chris, where there is a three day journey to somewhere and then there was a substitutionary death for someone who needed to pay the price right. for their sins? Yeah. Three, three days has a peculiar spot in uh, scripture. And so, uh, and not only that, but this, this journey doesn't take three days. So God's clearly making this uh, clear for us, uh, particularly those of us on the other side of the cross. But um, you you get the story. Uh, I would argue there's a bit of a a chiasm in the story uh, that at the center of that chiasm is the statement of uh, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers Isaac saying, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And I think that's a fantastic picture Mm -hmm. as the story goes. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, we go from this idea of having a lamb for a burnt offering before we even have the law. And then we see lambs as a burnt offering for the law. And then of course we see Jesus Christ as that, as that lamb. So this is even the starting point of what's going to happen to save us from our sins. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just simple and easy to spot gospel connection. Right. And we get phrases like my only son, uh, which is interesting. I think that's why we get the telling of the sending away of Hagar and Ishmael uh, to really establish Abraham is believing that through Isaac, this promise is going to come true. Um, And yet God's called him. To, to sacrifice and and as Hebrews uh, will actually reflect on this uh, in Hebrews eleven it says by faith Abraham was tested and offered up Isaac and uh, he uh, who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead uh, from which he also received him in a figurative sense uh, which I think is interesting he adds that in case you didn't know this wasn't literal he didn't actually die but um, Abraham clearly knows look I trust in the promise that God 
God has given me. And if he calls me to kill my son, I, I even believe that he'll raise him from the dead and, and, and bring him back because I trust God's promises that much. And that's, that's, that's the question on the table. It's not, what are you willing to sacrifice? It's, do you trust, do you trust God? Um, yeah. And I think that's why we see in verse 12 of 22, God says, for now I know that you fear God. That was the test. So if somebody is like, well, why do you need to carry a Mount Moriah to offer on the altar so you trust God? That's not, it's it's not a command to give the thing we love the most. It's a command to see if we trust God and are willing to follow him wherever he leads. Not that God is ever going to command any of us to give our firstborn son or like second. Yeah. And this is certainly a unique story in all of scripture. I mean, other than the Jesus parallels of God, the father uh, and his son, but um, this was a time when other nations surrounding them would certainly offer um, firstborn sacrifices. And, the story we get from Yahweh is the same way that Noah's story is very different than all the surrounding nations in, in, in Yahweh's interactions with his people, instead of actually taking the offering, he provides a substitute for the offering. And so this God is different than all the other gods. And that's so crucial. And then we get uh, Sarah's death and burial, uh, which Sarah is an interesting character because um, she's the only one we know about their birth age and, and death and uh, nowhere in the Bible uh, are we told necessarily to like look at Mary or something like that. But, but Sarah is held up uh, in Isaiah 51 and first Peter three as, as like, look, this is an example. She's, she's of significance in the storyline, but I guess Abraham's of significance too. And he's also somebody who there's parts of his life where you'd be questioning how much do I really want to follow that part of him. But um, they're, they're the mother and father of, of our faith and so yeah i wish i could sit down and be like how are you feeling in this situation or we could see more of their experiences and and different behaviors behind the sanctification of faith yeah it's as a- they were continually purified and learned more and more and more to trust god not that they didn't make mistakes or fail and and their faith was what made them righteous not their works but they are right. an interesting mother and father and, of the and- faith and we also, we have to remember, these people are walking in obedience with not a lot of information. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's so much we know about who God is now, but they don't have a whole lot. <laughs> and they're moving forward and they're trying to figure out how Yahweh is different than the other gods in the world and uh, what is to trust and what does obedience really look like. And so uh, there's times where they're acting like everybody else and there's times where they're figuring it out and stumbling forward. And uh, yes, we have more information, but I think we do the same thing ourselves. Uh, and then we have Isaac uh, and getting his wife, Rebecca, um, which uh, you eventually get this little thing with a hand on the thigh. And that's just an ancient way of making an oath and saying, yes, I will do that for you. Um, and you get this sort of providential discernment. Now, I mean, I, I just joked with Sarah before we recorded this. Like, I, I guarantee you there's a sermon somewhere out there where somebody has preached on uh, um find a good woman that'll feed or that'll water your camels or some kind of sermon on singleness and marriage and dating. Uh, that is not the point of this. That is not the point of uh, these stories. Um, and not only that, but like this is per or descriptive of a story and not prescriptive of how you are supposed to now make decisions and find a wife or do anything like that. And that's how historic narrative often works of like, look, this is, this is something that happened. And yes, God ultimately used the circumstances God used, how she responded. Maybe it did show some character that she was willing to serve and do all this, but 
Um, quite hospitable. But sometimes relying on circumstances is dangerous too. Like uh, in the book of Jonah, Jonah goes down to Joppa. And I wonder if he's like, well, if there's a boat there, then obviously God wants me to go. And there's a boat and it just happened to be waiting. And so um, I'd be cautious on uh, using providential circumstances as a way to discern God's will. But uh, at least works out in this case. Yeah. And uh, Abraham dies. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's kind of just kind of stated, and we get a genealogy after that. And then we. I get just. Th- I just want to say, I felt a little yeah, bit sad when Abraham died. <laughs> I mean, I know, <laughs> I know it's going to happen, but you, you know, when you really study and you really invest in these characters, uh, yeah, we've we've got like uh, 10 it's like chapters reading a good novel. You know, like when a really good book ends, you you don't want it to end. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I there are things about Abraham I don't love, but I also am grateful to the God who led Abraham for Abraham. Right. Yeah. He, he got a pretty good number of years. I think he'll be all right. Yeah. Um, and then we get the birth of Esau and Jacob, uh, which uh, we get uh, their, even their names and, and Jacob himself is uh, the name is sort of like uh, to use old fashioned terms, like a trickster or a con man or, scoundrels one of those kind of things that um he he is somebody that's deceptive in who he is um and uh it's interesting because uh historically like the firstborn gets the the privilege gets the focus gets uh uh the expectation gets the responsibilities gets the weight gets the uh, a double portion of inheritance uh all those sort of things but um in god's economy it just doesn't always work that way and actually a majority of the time it almost feels like it doesn't work that way um and and why is that well the difficulty is paul even reflects on that in romans 9 he, he looks to this story and he goes look we don't know we don't always know why God does some of the things he does. And we're, we're, we're pots and he's the potter. And who, who are we to ask? And um, so it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's Romans 9, 16. And so um, it's difficult because we're going to read, continue to read about Jacob, who just seems like n- not great. Uh, <laughs> That's an understatement, <laughs> maybe. To put it lightly, Jacob is just questionable over and over and over again. And uh, there's a great uh, quote a woman uh, once said to Spurgeon. She said, I can't understand why God uh, should say that he hated Esau. And that, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. And and how true that is of just that struggle to be like, why Jacob? Like, we wouldn't have picked Jacob. Like, Esau was the guy in the field. He was He was out there he was doing his responsibilities he was like he's the firstborn that's that's who everybody expected not jacob who seems questionable and is at home cooking and living in tents and i mean there's all these hints where it's like he doesn't seem like he'd be one that people would be excited about but that's who it is and well yeah i mean even when you think of like who his father favored there's probably a reason his father favored esau I yeah. don't know what it is. It's the furry red, um, and, <laughs> yeah, totally. and which is what we hear about him. He sells his birthright. And he actually says, "How about that red for this red?" Like, yeah, he's got red beans, and it's a little, fun little play on words. But um, he's this furry red guy, and, and 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 he's willing to sell his birthright, which seems super questionable. And he saw that he's willing to do that. Um, yeah, I just feel the like there's got to be such more a to story. Um, I don't. Like, yeah, it just re- it reminds me a little bit of The Simpsons. At some point, Milhouse sells his soul to to Bart, and some, but or know. vice versa. Bart sells his soul to Milhouse, and anyways, but uh, <laughs> it just feels like that, where it's like he didn't really think much about it, and then he realized after the fact, like, oh no, what have I done? Um, <laughs> like he was that hungry. Uh, which even Hebrews twelve, what's going going back to Hebrews says uh, there's sort of this reference of like that we wouldn't go for the instant satisfaction that Esau goes for, um, that 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 just satisfying in the moment can cause us to make really 
bad decisions. And I think that's what happens to Esau. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the reminders we get of God and his hesed or his steadfast love in this story, especially of Jacob and Esau, is that we are not chosen based on our worthiness or because we have some sort of characteristic that is going to make us be used better by God. But but God chose us because God chose us and because of his sovereign plan. And that's something that as you continue to read the story of Jacob that you'll probably need to remind yourself of because he's such an unworthy choice in yeah. so many ways. Yeah. I like mean, we all are. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, we'll get to this in the New Testament section, but like that, that that's part of like the Beatitudes and stuff like that is going, look, God's, God's kingdom is upside down at times. And what we expect people or even the ways that our world puts value on people, God doesn't always do it that way. Um, and so, yeah. And God continues with another promise to Isaac, a repetition of these promises. Um, and Isaac obeys, so we like that. Yeah, of course. We, we're always excited when a character in the story is like, oh, you, you're okay with it. You did it. Good. You never left the promised land. Awesome. Um, and then we get sort of a repetition of Isaac and another Abimelech. Uh, so so do you think yeah. Isaac was – I mean, Isaac was seemed to be much more faithful and obedient to God than Jacob, for example. Do you think that was because of the – the, probably the bond that he and Abraham had over that moment on Mount Moriah where maybe, maybe they made a decision together for him to sacrifice himself or he saw the substitutionary lamb or the ram that was there. Yeah, I just it, wonder his interactions with his fathers and his experience of being the promised one and the right. offspring if he really owns that role. Yeah, maybe. Um, and maybe hearing from his dad, hey, uh, every time I left the land, it didn't go well for me. Just, just stay here. Um, I can tr- you trust you. that God's fine, and God will, God will bless you if you stay here. Um, and yeah, maybe because uh, it does seem like, from a little bit of the language, uh, that um, that Isaac going up to the mountain also seems to be in the state of like, <laughs> look, God, I or, or Dad, I, I trust that God will come through too. Um, and then they saw it. He saw it with his own eyes. Right. That that God is real, and God is doing a work through him and his yeah. family and his promises are true. And, um, yeah, and we get a, 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 a bit of, um, a reversal yeah, in some of the I know, stories. I'm like, Isaac was so great, but actually in this next passage, Wait, the, uh, Abimelech story. Is this the Rebecca where he, yeah, where he lied about his sister. Oh yeah. Yeah. His wife. And, and so, yeah, he goes through a little bit of the same problems he had before. Uh, and, um, yeah. And so you get this kind of, um, uh, uh, repetition uh, and once again god god uses a pagan king which we saw in pharaoh which we saw in abivalek before like to correct his people <laughs> the people that are clear which to me speaks to my my heart a little bit of like non-believers non-christians i interact with who are like hey sometimes what you're saying what you're doing doesn't line up with what i think you should be doing um and and the ability of god to speak through others who are not filled with the holy spirit to tell me yeah, I mean, Truth. God chooses the <laughs> seems to be the least expected or the least likely to to carry on the line, and then He chooses an even more unlikely person to bring about the conviction or judgment. And we see that here in Genesis, we see it with the Babylonians and the exile. We see it all over the place. Yeah, but then it gets better. We we see all this sort of stories with these wells like getting filled in, and um, instead of responding kind of uh, in kind, where Isaac is trying to uh, fight back or anything like that, he just keeps 
building wells and waiting to see if one of them sticks. And um, at the end of the, the kind of section, I mean, we find out Isaac is blessed and, and he ends up blessing Abimelech. He ends up blessing others in this process. Um, and, and then we see again, like dividing paths between Esau and Isaac. And it's making clear, like Isaac took all these Hittites for wives, which we know Rebecca was not a fan of and, or Esau took all these Hittites right. for wives. Yeah. And made life bitter. For Isaac and Rebecca. Yep. So Esau was a hurting guy. Yep. Yeah. Esau. Yeah. Esau's role is always an interesting one. Well, let's jump to the New Testament. Uh, in Luke 6 is where we're at. Uh, we get introduced to the collection of the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. Um, in this group, uh, on the surface, we're like, hey, we just we read the names and we move on. But like, we have to know just the background of some of these people because um, you have the ones that you are generally introduced to, which are the general Galileans, the, the fishing boys, the ones with the brothers. Uh, of- when Chris talks about this, I just need you to picture like the different lunch tables in the cafeteria. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like going all. Seeing clueless or something like that uh, uh, there, there, there's Simon who gets renamed Peter there's Andrew James John Philip Bartholomew the, all these guys who are Galileans they're all from that region um, this is um, where Pharisaism and other groups are, are certainly influential um, but they're they're blue collar they're they're a little more agricultural they're they're a little more work in the fields work in the, the lake uh, and that's what they do uh, and then you have some that have um, certainly some influence from foreigners or at least it's implied uh, Matthew certainly has an influence he's working for Rome uh, in terms of his tax collecting uh, Thomas who one of the other gospel writers goes who's also called Didymus which is a straight up Greek name for him uh, James son of Alphaeus Alphaeus itself is another Greek name Judas the son of James who in another gospel is also called Thaddeus which is a Greek name so um, you, you have all these that, that have some sort of like foreign influence uh, whatever interactions with um, 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 Greek culture Hellenism whatever like that there seems to be uh, people that are influenced by that and then we get a, a couple of rebels um we get Simon the Zealot. Uh, the Zealots were a group um, that uh, basically they're, how they want to deal with Rome is to fight back. Uh, that That is their goal, is to kick out Rome by force if they can. The Freedom Riders. Um, and, um, and then we get Judas Iscariot, which um, there's a fair amount of um, uh, writings of what Iscariot really stands for um, and whether it's connected to the Zealots as well. There's uh, this understanding that carries Sakaris, these daggers, um, and that really his name's like, Judas Daggerman. He's part of this group that's rebellious, uh, which will make sense in a few other stories if, if that's really true of him. So you, you have these people who are selling out Israel for the foreigners. We have these people who want to physically attack the foreigners. We have these other people who are like part of the group that just goes, I, we just want to obey Torah. We don't want the foreigners. We're not interested in killing people. And so this whole group of disciples are like all come from amazingly different backgrounds. And I can't imagine like how... Judas felt when Matthew, the tax collector, joins the group, or vice versa. It's like, we, like yeah, I don't yeah, know that I can do this. I don't think we're going to get along. Yeah. Like, this is these. This is not just not going to the same barbecues together. This is like you have background back backyard brawls after school because you guys hate each other so much. Um, and so this is just the nature of the makeup. And Jesus prays about this group, and 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 once again, like. This is a good turning point. This is the 12. This will be the send out um, as the gospel will go and as the book of Acts will go. And Jesus prays about these these 12. And then yeah. Jesus, I, I, oh, go ahead. Make sure you don't miss the fact that he went to pray all night before he came and called those disciples. Yep. He knew what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And we see the early church even kind of do that of like the, the, the calling or really the commissioning of um, 
people into the mission field and yeah, they, they stay and pray. 13, yeah. yeah, they pray and they fast and then they So once again, we see um, the Luke as a gospel writer pick up on stuff that's happening here into the book of Acts, which is we, we get in the very next story. We get inclusion of Tyre and Sidon uh, in the mission of Jesus. And then by the book of Acts, uh, we're going to read about Tyre and Sidon having specific roles in the book of Acts in the early church as if the early church picked up on the mission of Jesus itself. Uh, and then we get these Beatitudes that um, in in Matthew's gospel, they're like the very start of the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke here has his Sermon on the Plains, as some people call it. Uh, and uh, this, um, this blessing that comes uh, here. Uh, and so... It's interesting. Luke makes sure to know who's there. He's talking about these people from Tyre and Sidon, people who are coming to heal their diseases, to take care of unpure spirits. It, it seems like a, a, a bit of a ragtag crowd that might be mentioned uh, that are following Jesus at this moment. Um, and then Jesus goes, well, blessed are you who are hungry, who um, are poor, who, who he goes into the people that no one would define as blessed in, in general culture. We, we still don't define hungry and poor as blessed in, in our culture, but Jesus does that. Jesus looks at this crowd that's just a, probably a collection of broken, beat up people and go, look, my kingdom includes you guys. My kingdom is not just about wealthy and rich and power and stuff like that. Now, you could be wealthy, which are powerful, but I want you to know you broken people who every other kingdom of the world has totally rejected. Rome has rejected you. Greeks, the Greeks have rejected you. Even in, in Israel, you've been rejected. You can't go worship like you want. You can't do all these things. But Jesus is being very clear. And my kingdom includes those that are, that are poor, who are on the margins, who are destitute, who are struggling, who are hurting. Like my, my, my invitation is for you to... And it's, and it's a throwback to Luke 5 when he says, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners and repentant. So right. it was the people who needed something, who needed to be saved, who understand that they weren't earning their own salvation, that they needed that good news. And Jesus immediately moves it to this eternal perspective. Your current circumstances are not indicators of what is to come right. or how it's always going to be. Remember that this isn't the end. Right. And, and and I think even in the pronouncement of the woes on the back end, which we Luke does and Matthew doesn't, I think it's simply Jesus ter- flipping upside down their expectations of, if, look, if you think that being rich means that God is blessing you, you need to redefine your blessing. And if you think that being full of food is, is God blessing you, then, then you need even laughing. If you think just joy and laughing is not a bad thing. Like uh, that's not a, that's, we, we literally just read about Abraham and, and Sarah laughing. Uh, laughing is not a problem. It's, it's if you think that that's blessed. If you think that that's necessarily why you're blessed, then then we need to redefine uh, what blessed actually looks like, yeah. and and so, um, and and we shouldn't just read past this being like, oh wow, those are some crazy woes that Jesus pronounced on those people. But let's look about it and think about how it applies to us now, because as we continue to read Luke, the hard things he says are much more applicable to our culture and even even our own selves, then we would probably like it to yeah. be. Yeah, every kingdom of this world has an influence, and each kingdom of this world will define what the good life really is. And it's very rare that those align with what Jesus says is yeah. truly the, the good or the right life. And, um, and so Western America has its own definitions of what is blessed, and I think Jesus would come along going, no, I don't, I don't think those are like, you have 2000 followers on Instagram. I, I don't care. 
And uh, are you following me? That's all I care about. And so, um, yeah. And so I, I think it's it's challenging the norms of of what is what is tr- what, what does it mean to be actually blessed and inviting in the people that that are totally think they're not welcomed and not part of any kingdom. Jesus is making sure to make that clear. It makes me think of David and how like his first group of people who joined up with him when he was on the run were also the outcasts and the marginalized. I can't remember where it is. I mean, David himself is one of those. Yeah. Where it's like n- no one thought that David was going to be the king. And they went, they went through every other brother before him and then had to go find him to, to be like, what, don't you have another one? Is he out shepherding in the field? Like, and, and he's the one. Yeah. Um, and th- yeah. And then he gets his army and it's these like ex-convicts <laughs> and it's these people that no one would accept and. It was right. like a real ragtag bunch of people. Yep. Um, and then we get some pretty intense teaching from Jesus here uh, right away. To love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you. Um, and and Luke says this a little bit differently than Matthew in some of the texts, but um, I think Jesus is centrally um, driving at, look, the eye for the eye mentality in the world. It's not how I want you to live. Uh, I don't want you to live with that um, tit for tat kind of response to things that um, when someone slaps you, don't, don't respond that way. Don't try to respond in kind. Like if they steal from you, give them a garment and be generous. Uh, uh, Go, go the extra mile, be the people that, that unexpectedly respond to situations. Everyone expects people to respond by, by fighting back, but no one expects uh, the, the kind of way that Jesus is calling people to live. Yeah. And this is where we need to be careful to not interpret some of these statements as principles or like nice things to live by, but these are commands from Jesus. Right. And we even saw Isaac do the same thing with the wells that we just read about in Genesis. Yeah. But what does a completely countercultural way of loving our enemies look like? Does it look like taking someone to small claims court or right. Cutting yeah, somebody and, off and because I know, they cut you off or and, whatever. And I know people will get into every little hypothetical situation. Well, if someone breaks into my house and they have a gun and they want to do this, like make it a principle and think through those principles of what it actually looks like to just live in a way that is non-retaliatory. Like one of the markers of the early church was how non-retaliatory they really were towards Rome, towards others. And, and so what does it look like in American culture? Like, I don't know if some of the phrases that we use and, 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 and talk through, like, I, I, I I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail. Uh, and so, um, but then we get teaching about judging others as well. Um, and I want to be clear. I think people use this to, to, to tell people that they can't judge them. Like, um, uh, well, you say something to somebody else and their, and their response is, well, judge not lest you be judged, which I don't know why people still quote the King James, but um, they, they respond that way. And um, and I don't think that's what, exactly what Jesus is being after. Like if someone is like a, a, an alcoholic and destroying other people's lives, guess what? We should judge them and and speak to that in a way that that is um, uh, discerning, in a way that is loving, in a way that that does those sort of things. I think there's areas for that sort of discernment. Uh, I think what Jesus is after is a, is a sense of, lo- of of judging others and not judging yourself in the process too. Um, that that if we don't if we act like a hypocrite, which is the word he uses, which really just means actor uh, in in history, um, uh, but don't act like you've got it all together and because you. Your view is blocked too. You own your own sin and you can speak to other people's sin too. Like we need each other to actually point out each other's um, sins and problems and all that happens within the church. Uh, but that's not, um, I don't think that's what Jesus is. I think Jesus is like, look, you do it based upon uh, uh, 
It says with the measure that you use, it should be measured back to you. So like measure fairly, measure understanding that you're a sinner, understanding that they're a sinner, understanding that we all need those things. So we read about loving your enemies and that involves sacrificial giving and non-retaliatory Sure, something like that. No, I can't. I don't know. I can't get the word together. And then we see this judging others, and it's an invitation to for holiness. And so, part of what loving your brothers and sisters looks like not is inviting them into greater holiness. Yeah, yeah. It's it's saying, look, like here's how God desires. Like it is loving to do that. It is loving for me to tell my children, look, that is not how you should be living and to live this way. I would be unloving if my kid wanted to go play in the street and I just thought, okay, go ahead. Like, no, I, I have to warn because that's dangerous. That's problematic. And so, um, but I, I would want that the same way. Yeah. I would yeah. want it the same way. Um, and, and said the same way too. Um, but, uh, Jesus continues. We're about a, a tree and his fruit and, and, it's pretty straightforward. A good tree has good fruit. Like, uh, and, and that's not a statement around like a good fruit does not make a good tree. The good tree makes good fruit. And so, uh, at least want to be that way around our theology. Look, like it is not, this is not teaching workspace theology, but it is talking about a, 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 a faith that, that causes us to work a certain way, which is why Jesus will go on to say like, um, look, you, you've got to put these things into practice. Like, you got to do what I say. Like, and, and he will say elsewhere, like, you are my disciples if you do what I tell you, if you do what I say, if you follow my commands. And um, are we saved by faith and, and faith alone and by grace? Yes. But we are not saved to a fruitless faith. And I think that's what Jesus is after. It's like, look, following me involves a life that has changed. And here are some of the ways it should look. It should look like loving uh, your enemies. It should look like uh, not being the ones who are judging, but the ones who who are being gracious to others because I was gracious to you when you were still a sinner. And so um, that's building your house on a rock. Yeah. Don't be Lot's wife who said she's going to go and goes, but but really doesn't do anything and then turns into a pillar of salt. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I got to dig deeper into that pillar of salt to, to really understand that. But um and then immediately after that, Jesus heals a centurion servant, which once again, if you're a Jewish crowd listening to this, it's like the centurion, like they are our oppressors. Uh, and uh, we find out that the guy's really not that bad, at least how it's described here. But he's a man who understands authority and, and, and understands like, look, Jesus has the power to command whatever he wants to command, just like I have authority to command people to come and go. And he uh, believes it. And then the, the shocking statement in that whole story is Jesus going, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. It's like, okay, there's a lot of people in Israel with a lot of faith. And they're in, God's people. In God, yeah, in Yahweh himself. And yet Jesus makes this statement, which once again, if, if this is written to a particular like Gentile crowd, like that's an invitation in for that crowd to go, oh, like even the centurion is a picture of a model of faith. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite stories in all the gospels. And I'll say the same thing again when we go through Matthew. This is my reminder that I get to ask Jesus and to pray for situations and circumstances that I am not directly connected to. This is my burden to pray for the nations. Even if I'm not there, I can pray for the unreached or I can pray for the broken or the dying and know that the Lord hears and answers that. And in some way, I get to be part of the work that God is doing in places that I will never physically interact with because of prayer, because of asking Jesus to heal. Yep. And Jesus raises a window of sun. And then we see um, the messengers of John the Baptist, uh, which 
once again, we covered a little bit when we talked about John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism earlier, but um, this is where it seems like John is expecting Jesus to come to set up shop, to be uh, the Messiah who's going to kick out Rome, who's going to set Israel free, uh, to do all those things. And uh, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. It's not uh, the time for that. Or um, he just doesn't understand that there will be an in-between when judgment will finally come and right now. So as, as much as John knew, he didn't know the whole story. Yeah. And he was also walking and living by faith very boldly. But he yeah. was walking and living by faith, which is which is good news for us. It's like yeah. look, we we miss the point on Jesus often, and it's a whole lifetime sometimes of honing in on or clarity on that. And and John and, and Jesus praises John with like words that no one like uh, no one else on earth like is, 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 is that's this, born of woman is like John. Like, yeah, John has this privileged position, yet he's also not understanding Jesus as Messiah. Right, so. and he doubts, which is. Also comforting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get to the doubting at the end of uh, the Gospels too, where the disciples are like still doubting and Jesus has been resurrected. And it's so it's so good. Like the place of doubt and faith is so good. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 97. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Sure. So I think one of the things we need to do is define Zion. Tell me about Zion, Chris. Oh. Uh, and so. Or what um, Zion is. Yeah. Uh, Zion was sort of the ancient name for, for Jerusalem. Um, you, you definitely had a connection to the city of Jerusalem itself with the word Zion. But then it started, particularly into the Psalms, started becoming this like future place. Uh, this place when uh, there's a, like a true Jerusalem that's reset, that there's a place that uh, the sort of even the two kingdom idea, there's, there's, a, there's a future uh, to, to look forward to in Zion when God will sit on his throne, he will reestablish things. So it became very, uh, what we call eschatological is about the future. Um, and, and so when you start hearing Zion, particularly into Proverbs and Psalms, uh, it definitely has that sort of future oriented thing. Yeah. And understanding that, understanding that helps us interpret Psalm 97 too. This Psalm is a lot about God's righteousness, his justice, his hatred of evil and his wrath. And this is a hard thing for us to reconcile when we believe some are more deserving of wrath than others. Uh, but it causes us to consider what that final judgment will look like. And I'd encourage you to spend a little time or like if you feel uncomfortable, which I mean, I do for sure with understanding and reconciling the wrath of God, keep asking questions, keep digging in and learning about it because his wrath co- means that he is worthy of worship and to be glorified as well. Yeah, definitely. Anything we should look forward to next week? Uh, yeah. So compare and contrast the goodness of God with, with Jacob and his behaviors. Did he earn God's blessing? Is he deserving of it? Uh, what does he earn by faithfulness? And how can we make a connection to Jacob's behavior and God's choice of him? So just kind of pay attention to this, the tension between Jacob and yeah. what we know of God. That's good. And then uh, for me, uh, as you get into some of the New Testament stories, um, look look up things on the map. Like it's amazing because Jesus' whole ministry is like 20 square miles. It's not a large tract of land that Jesus does a majority of his work in. And so when we find out he's going across the lake and he goes to the garrisons, know where that is and know kind of the people or what part of the world that that um, would have represented because I think it gets into some interpretation of how to read that, that story well. And so uh, that's it for me today. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Thanks.